1: Let us know what you think so you can help us out and we can continue to do what we love and bring you guys in as fans.
2: All right, everybody. It's the Working Fans Podcast, and today we have a special guest. This guy's been a wrestler. He's been a booker, and he's part of the world-famous Hart family. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ross Hart. Ross, thank you for being on.
0: That's a pleasure, Dave.
2: Thank you so much, man. You know, one thing I want to get right off the bat with you, which I think is going to be an obvious answer, but I'm just curious. Growing up in the Hart family, did you ever have any doubt that you were gonna be in the wrestling business at a young
0: age? Um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a certainty, but you know, I, I was exposed to a lot of different roles, you know. Mm. My my dad on on the, the wrestling side because he was training guys and working out working out with guys in the dungeon a lot, but also on the business side, he was booking shows, he was speaking with wrestlers and promoters and agents from all over the world to book talent here. And uh, my mom was working as a secretary for him and they worked sort of as a, a partnership. She she did all the secretarial and financial work in the bookkeeping and accounting, but she also answer, answered uh, all the phone calls back then. You know, she would speak with, with all the the wrestlers about their bookings and rides and uh fans who called up and uh, all the media outlets wanting to know about the the upcoming shows so you know i was exposed to that a lot and then uh just just the wrestling side of it you know watching the live shows and the tv production so i kind of thought about where i might fit in with with mm-hmm. the promotion and, and as i got older you know i i thought about it more and uh I considered whether I would go into wrestling, but I was kind of small at that side at that time. I was kind of skinny and scrawny in high school, although you know I was doing some amateur wrestling involved in sports. So I thought more and more I might be um, involved on the, the office side, you know, uh, lining up shows. And then I ended up working as a producer for the television show for, for a number of years. And, and then I was going to university at the same time. But, but I also knew I had to have something to fall back on. That's something yeah. my dad had taught all of us is that uh, wrestling could be a very unstable industry and uh, it had its highs and lows. So I always knew that I, I needed to have something else in my back pocket. So I went to university in Calgary and got my teaching degree. And even though I didn't teach right away after I graduated, I think from I think in 1985, I knew uh, at the end of the, the wrestling trail, you know, I had a stable career to fall back on and that's what I ended up doing, and uh, I'm still teaching today. Yeah,
2: that's awesome, man. You know, one other thing I was curious about, too, was obviously you're growing up in your dad's territory, but, you know, you you obviously went to other territories. What were some of your other favorite territories that you got to visit, you got to see?
0: Yeah, you know, sometimes it would be on a, a vacation, you know, just like a leisure trip. I remember I went to Hawaii and, and saw the promotion there. I think it was around 1979, 1980 and i think lord Blears was still kind of involved in that promotion and he was and i think ed francis was selling the promotion to uh steve rickard if, if i'm not mistaken and so there was a bit of a transition there so and and i went to a few shows i think in vancouver on the west coast where the all-star promotion was and i actually uh, went to some of the wwf shows uh, in in the in the mid 80s i guess that's that were out of town in in some mm-hmm. different cities and Even went to uh, some shows where I was wrestling in 1990. I did some TV tapings, I think, uh, around SummerSlam, the year Brett and Jim won the tag title from Demolition. And I also was at at some promotions in uh, the UK and Germany and, you know, a lot of of different styles and influences. Over in Europe, it was more traditional, more conservative wrestling. They had rounds instead of uh, falls, and the the wrestling was a lot more... uh, Basic there, you know, they they, mm-hmm. they they didn't have to resort to uh, some of the things that you'd see in the in the U.S. or Canada to get heat. You know, yeah. it was m- much more conservative. You know, there was more uh, ground wrestling, and, and if you knocked a guy to the mat, you had to kind of stand back. You couldn't attack him or do any offense while while they're on the mat, unless you took him over in a hold. So so wrestling was was certainly more more traditional in the U.K. and uh, Germany and places like that but it was it was was good exposure it was good experience because because you you learned uh, different things from those promotions and you would take what was uh useful from those promotions and uh apply them here you know in 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 in, uh, our own promotion here so you know it wasn't until years later that i got to go to japan and uh places like that and you know totally different style but uh, but fans there were very uh respectful of wrestling and they really took wrestling uh for real, like really seriously, and they were they were never really exposed to uh, you know the the rehearsal aspect of wrestling or matches being predetermined until many years later. So I always found uh, Japanese wrestling you know very enjoyable to watch because uh, it was it was easy to get a reaction from the fans and you know they they still expected you to work hard in the ring, but if you did, you know you you were applauded and uh, you got a great reaction from them. So you know I I enjoyed watching a lot of the the matches from from japan you know uh usually on videotapes i guess and uh whenever uh, i could see them on and then finally uh you know in the, i think around 2003 or 4 i actually got to go and uh, visit a few uh shows I, I think i went to a tokyo dome show which was kind of a combined w or, or uh, new japan uh, mixed martial arts uh show and uh it was just incredible you know it was a huge crowd of over thirty thousand fans i think and it was sort of uh combined wrestling uh ufc type matches you know so yeah Mm -hmm. that's pretty cool
2: actually i don't know if you keep up with it but nxt uk started doing the round system again too some of their yeah yeah i didn't
0: i didn't see that until recently but but in uk it's still very popular too you know it's always always had an audience there so
2: yeah it's nice to see i always like seeing like kind of you said pulling the best of everything it's nice to see little different things like even as a fan when you start watching wrestling it's nice to see oh here's something different i haven't seen before
0: you know yeah fresh. absolutely yeah, especially with japan and mexico which were uh, much different but you know you you got to see some some high flying and you know some some technical wrestling and then uh you know years later more of the, the shoot style or grappling wrestling so you know i think it's that's great, and there's a lot of different influences on the industry today. Still,
2: who are some of your favorite guys to work with?
0: To, to actually wrestle in the ring with? Or, yes. or well, you know, on, on my ring career experience was probably limited. You know, I and I, I didn't wrestle that much on the Stampede promotion. I I often wrestled out of town where I could use a different alias. Yep. Some of the guys that I enjoyed working with uh, there were. You know r- really easy to get a good match with and for hard workers and just very reliable stable guys and very safe in the ring with were um cuban assassin and jerry morrow mm-hmm. uh you know, two of the hardest working uh guys as a, as a tag team that i ever saw you know angel Acevedo was probably uh the ace of all tag teams you know he formed the Cuban assassins with, with two or three different partners. And then he had five or six other partners that he had the international tag team title with Jerry Morrow was another uh, great, great tag team guy as a baby face or as a heel. You know, these guys were were just awesome because they would call the whole match. They'd make you look really good. They they, uh, were safe in what they did. And they always worked uh, around your, your, uh, your limitations, I guess, you know, and they, they would, Taylor make a whole match for you, you know, and, and you always felt you were much better than you really were, uh, (laughs) but Buck and Singh was another guy, you know, he was uh, about 350 pounds and uh, a heavier, slower moving guy, but, but he had great heat. In the ring, you know, he, he just played so well to the crowd. He was very vocal and obnoxious, but but he actually called a really good match. He uh, was safe. He never hurt yeah. you, unless, unless he was a little pissed off at you. <laughs> and uh, uh, <laughs> I enjoyed working against him. And, yeah, so, you know, from a local perspective, you know, those those guys stood out to me for sure that, that I actually had the, had the chance to wrestle with in person.
2: I think I, I heard on a podcast, Jim Ross mentioned one time that he had brought Muck and Sing to WCW, and he was very disappointed the way they ended up using him because he said he had such great heat in other territories. And he liked that character, but then they made him Norman the Lunatic, and he was like, he thought they were missing the boat. And so it's funny to hear you say that now, too. Dude. He got great heat in that area.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, one of his best strengths or selling points was his talking, his interview skills. Mm. He was just incredible. And unfortunately, in uh, WCW, they had him as Norman the Lunatic. And uh, I don't know if they if he even did any interviews or not. I think Teddy Long or somebody was managing. Yeah. But he didn't even have the chance to, uh, to articulate or speak in, in uh, interviews. And, and then they kind of found that, that he wasn't getting over, uh, you know, as a psycho or lunatic type and because he was totally miscast. And then they made right. him a baby pace after. And that didn't get over very well because he was – you Know 350 pounds and much heavier, you know, and you know, fairly overweight, so it was, it was hard for fans to really uh, empathize with him, you know, or want to cheer him. And you know, he had already been kind of a failed heel, so that didn't get over. And then uh, he went to uh, WWF as Bastion Booger, and they yep. wasted him even more there, you know, sure. it was a, as a kind of a uh, repulsive, offensive, foul smelling uh, heel you know, and, and that didn't get over very well. And, you know, and they didn't exploit his, his speaking abilities, which uh, was his best strength. And, and then um, you
2: mention it. I think they used him as a monk at one point too, which he doesn't even speak. So that's the complete no. opposite. If you would want to do Yeah,
0: yeah absolutely. So mm-hmm. it was interesting. Uh, one time he, and he, you know, Mike was remarking, and saying was always great doing these interviews here. You know, we would have him. um, Doing radio show interviews in, in these smaller towns, and I think he was promoting a show somewhere in um, in the Okanagan, BC, or something. But uh, they had him on a radio talk show for about an hour, you know. And he, you know, he talked about his his match with uh, with Owen coming up, and and, and really just uh, ranting about uh, the Canadian fans, and uh, you know how how they were lazy and living off welfare and you know it was, it was great heat and yet it great heat, he didn't, yeah um offend anybody he didn't you know he didn't say anything sexist or or um racist or anything but right. it was just sort of a, a general condemnation of canadian fans and the canadian public but but you know he was still articulate and got over but anyway he was he was supposed to speak for an hour and then uh, uh they were supposed to have uh, the prime minister uh who at that time was brian Mulroney, and he, he was supposed to be uh giving um, kind of a State of the Union uh, address that was going all across Canada and was going to be aired live on uh, radio and TV. And Makin Singh's interview was going so well. After an hour, they uh, they delayed the Prime Minister's oh, line, wow so they could uh, let Makin Singh keep going. And he went on for like another hour. He went for like two hours straight. And they, they had fans uh, calling up and, and their, uh, their lines were, were so busy. Everybody was calling up, you know, to... Uh, to respond or uh, you know make remarks about uh, what he had said about about Canadian fans and wrestling and it was just just amazing how he lit up the airways and uh, they they let him carry on for two hours and uh, uh, let him preempt the prime minister's uh, speech. It was going all across Canada. So, but um, he was talk. he was he was great. You know he was really fantastic in that role as uh, as an interviewer and just kind of a, a loud mouth, overbearing. Uh, obnoxious bully you know which is how he carried his role in the ring and uh, outside totally different you know so it's interesting that a lot of these guys uh they manifested those roles in the ring outside the ring they were they were very professional so easy to deal with and they'd be the first ones to to actually sign an autograph for uh, some small fans or or visit somebody who is sick or disabled at a hospital mm. so that was kind of the irony of the uh, they're their, their real-life personas, which was totally different from how they they portrayed themselves in the ring. Interesting.
2: Now you had mentioned Owen briefly. Huge fan. I loved Owen growing up, and I'm just wondering. We all hear stories about Owen's notorious pranks and how he was one of the best pranksters around. And I was just wondering, do you have any prank stories of Owen yourself that maybe he got uh, you in or anything? <laughs>
0: You know, I'm trying not to tell uh, any that have been told uh, mm. over and over, because I know Brett's told some of them, and I think my brother Bruce has. I know the Stu one where he pretended to be the,
2: uh, I'm blanking out on the name, but the guy, Reggie Parks. <laughs> yes, <laughs> He got yes. fired up. I knew that yeah. one.
0: Yeah. There there was one story, and again, I think it's been told on some other shows, but I think it was in New York at, at a WWF show, and the Iron Sheik was wrestling for for WWF at the time, and, you know, Sheikh has always prided himself on his amateur background and uh, being a national champion of Iran, which I think he was. Uh, he was always close to his roots as as, as an amateur wrestler and uh, trained fanatically. You know, I, I think that image has kind of shifted a bit over the years. You know, he's mm-hmm. become a little bit controversial and sure. uh, unorthodox in some of his views and comments. But I think it's also a way he stays relevant as well. But but I know Owen um, called him up. Uh, in his hotel room they were staying at the same hotel and anyway room service put the call through and you know he said can I have the Iron Sheik's room and back then they were they you know they didn't really screen calls like they do today and anyway the Iron Sheik or Cosgrove picked up the phone and and then uh Owen called and said I'm a reporter doing a story on wrestling and I you know I hear that you have a background in amateur wrestling uh for Iran and that you were a bodyguard for the Shah of Iran and so anyway Cosgrove uh expounded about his amateur career and uh, you know how, how he'd been national champion there and he had trained with uh, Vern Gagne's camp in AWA and anyway um, Owen was kind of feeding into it as, as this supposed uh, reporter fan and then all of a sudden he uh, just kind of stopped Cosro in his tracks and said well I think you're just a fucking phony uh, actor you know and you are just telling me a bunch of bullshit you know you you never wrestled amateur in Iran and you're ju- you just a phony, right? You're you're not even a real Iranian, you know. And uh, Cosgrove was so furious, he was so mad. He says, "You motherfucker, you cock sucker, <laughs> here you speak to me like this, you know? Uh, who the fuck are you, you know?" And, and uh, anyway, we <laughs> <he> couldn't <laughs> recognize Owen's voice, you know. Owen just sounded like just some some loud, ignorant fan, you know. What we didn't show any respect to the wrestlers, and uh, Cosgrove was so. Uh, degraded so upset so insulted you know that this guy would uh, call him in his room and butter him up and put him over as as a as a champion and then basically just announce him as a as a liar and a BSer all the way you know and uh was so mad and uh, he says you motherfuckers he says you you want to uh take me on you want to face me and then uh one said sure i'll fight you anytime you know so i'll kick your fucking ass and you know so anyway so uh the phone call ended where uh Cosworth said you meet me down in the lobby of my hotel and i'll be there i'll meet you and no on, as the fans said sure i'll i'll meet you you know you iranian cocksucker or something <laughs> sorry for my language there That's but okay. uh, anyway, it, was, it was just <laughs> amazing how, uh heated it got you know and so from what i understood uh, uh iron Sheik was so mad and he stormed out of his room took the elevator down to the main lobby and was searching everywhere for this guy. Where is this motherfucker? You know, he's, he's supposed to meet me in the hotel and anyway, the guy never showed up. And uh, I don't know if he ever did hear that it was Owen actually, that uh, it, uh, made the call and uh, just gotten him so riled up. But that, that was uh, one story, but, but he's you know, he an incredible, uh, impersonator and, yeah. uh, prankster. There was another time when, um, I think ultimate warrior was driving this was before they kind of uh, didn't allow him to drive any cars anymore because he, he I guess he wasn't a very safe driver, but he had only been there for a while. I think he was new to the WWF and Owen and Ken Patera were riding with him. I guess they were they're uh, going to the same show or something. So, so, uh, ultimate was known for his erratic driving, you know, uh, in and out of lanes, cutting cars off, especially on the interstate. And Owen was in the back seat with, uh, and I think poor Ken was, uh, <laughs> in the back and he was getting car sick you know and uh, ultimate uh, was was driving and and you know they didn't have gps's back then or mm. navigation systems and uh, right. obviously he'd missed his turn or he was lost and, uh, and and ken Patero was just just going crazy in the back seat i guess he'd gotten car sick from 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 all the stopping and ultimate slamming on the brakes and uh, cars honking at him and says, and Owen was just having a great time because he, he knew how agitated and exhausted poor Ken was. And Ken, <laughs> I guess, screamed at Ultimate and said, for fuck's sakes, warrior, you're going to get us all killed. You keep like that. And Owen was just hysterically laughing the whole time, you know. Just, no, that's <laughs> it, great. It was, it was just giving him, uh, you know, such a thrill to see how agitated and mm-hmm. uh, car sick poor Ken was getting. <laughs> and it didn't faze him at all, you know. <laughs> You know, well, it'll only last so long and uh, i'll survive you know so but yeah you know he brought a lot of um, humor to our lives and he always uh, made us smile and even That's if awesome. we were receiving end of his pranks you know we we had to laugh a lot for you know because uh, it just made made you realize you should never take life so seriously
2: absolutely absolutely That's yeah awesome. yeah the, awesome. anyway these are my own stories oh those are great i actually didn't know either one of those so that's great i want to ask you because you said something a minute ago that reminded me of um i don't know what we we're talking about but like the older i get like i realize that wrestling isn't the only thing that's a work <laughs> like it's so funny like when i watch things now in a different like scope like whether it's reality tv or even just like a musician or even politicians i'm like oh they're cutting a promo or oh they're kind of enhancing they're playing to a certain part of the crowd or a character and i'm just like Man, Russell is at least honest about it. I don't do. You, do you ever look at things like that? and You go, oh, this guy's working, or I think, oh, I think I know what he's doing. I'm just curious.
0: Yeah, there, there are uh, some guys that uh, the way they worked in the ring sometimes, and uh, they they cut promos and interviews it wasn't that far from uh, reality. It wasn't right. Far from the real world. It was guys like Doctor D, David Schultz. You know, he he was uh, he was a great talker, great orator, but uh, he could get very wound up yeah. and uh, uh, pretty short fused. You know, and and uh, I saw him sometimes just uh, unload on some wrestlers, sometimes some fans, and we all know about the incident with John Stossel right. on the 20 show. But there there are guys like that, Bad News Allen or Bad News Brown, very sinister, very serious in the ring. You know, and uh, they could be very intimidating. Uh, and, and if they were pissed off about something, the wrestler agitated bad news or, or did something he didn't approve of, especially if it was a uh, racist or just bad manners, uh, sure. you, you, you better mind your manners around him, you know, for sure. So, so you know, there, there are some guys like that that were uh, were, were, were pretty genuine if, if um, something, you know, irritated them or pissed them off and uh, you, you definitely didn't want to be on their bad side.
2: Absolutely. Uh, now, um, actually, in uh, doing some research for this, uh, I I think you told the story on the podcast. I haven't heard it yet. I'm just curious. This is the only one I'm going to ask you. Brian Pillman. Uh, was, I was I just I, I was a huge fan of Pillman, by the way, and I had never. He got into a fight with a guy named Brick Bronski. Yeah, yeah. What happened? Who was Brick Bronski, and what actually happened there? I, yeah, I, I, this up
0: uh, I haven't heard about Jeff's whereabouts in quite a few years. You know, big big guy. He was uh, one of these heavier bodybuilders, I guess. Uh, you know, uh, must have been about two hundred seventy pounds, about six foot four. And anyway, you know, I, I don't know all the events that led up to it. I know uh, Jeff felt that Pillman was uh, agitating him and having a laugh at his expense in front of the boys, I guess. And Brian could do that sometimes. You know, he uh, he was pretty outspoken, and uh, you know, a lot of times he he would. Uh, I wouldn't say he, he was a bullier intimidator, but, but, uh, he could, he could be uh, pretty cocky and brash sometimes, you know, he, he, he might come into a bar or nightclub, you know, and you could be, uh, warming up to a nice girl or something. And then Brian would just uh, move right in, step right in front of you. And, uh, he had so much, uh, self-confidence and, um, big ego and and he was a really good talker and he would basically, uh, just steal the girl away from you or kind of embarrass you or, or, uh, Make you feel kind of less significant, right? Or or uh, you didn't have as uh, much yeah. confidence or uh, ego as him, you know. And and I guess uh, Jeff Jeff uh, was was upset about that, and he, he felt Brian was agitating him and taking liberties with him. So at the time, I guess he he was fairly close with uh, Dynamite Kid and Davy Boy Smith, you know, just from uh, visits to our house. I guess to the Hard House, and he had approached them, and he felt that. Brian had taken too many liberties with him and some of the other boys, and um, what should he do about it? But he was afraid Brian would have backing or support of other wrestlers like uh, my brother Bruce, because Bruce was tag teaming with Brian, and Bruce was the booker of uh, the promotion at the time. So Jeff felt if I uh, if I confront Brian or call him out, you know, to have a to have a fight, am I going to have to deal with Bruce and Owen and some others that would uh, side with Brian? You know, and so I guess Dynamite Davey. wanted to see some action said well we'll come down to the uh dressing room and uh we'll make sure that nobody got gel- nobody else gets involved and i guess dynamite didn't uh have much regard for brian either he just he saw him as kind of a vocal mm. uh, upstart that hadn't paid his dues in the business and he'd rubbed a few other people the wrong way too like johnny smith and a few others uh so so i guess uh that's what happened so they they had a. Um, a weekend off I guess they weren't working for the WWF at the time so they came down to the show and came in the dressing room just before the the matches started and they were there basically to give Jeff some moral support but I but I also think they wanted to see a, a good fight you know they wanted yeah. to sit back and uh, watch these two guys <laughs> go at it and uh, see if Pillman would would stand up to to Beltsner, or if he'd back down, and so I guess Jeff had had some courage then because Dynamite Davey had had shown up, and he felt he had their backing. So, um, so he went in the dressing room and uh, confronted Brian and said, "I'm you know tired of of, of your bullshit and how you who you treat me and some of the other boys and uh, and a few others tried to kind of uh, intercede. I think uh, Carl Moffat tried to say, "Calm down, I don't get so worked up," and then he flew into a rage at him and uh, so anyway I guess Brian uh, didn't back down and said well hey you know uh, as far as I'm concerned you're you know you're you're just a big pussy or something and anyway they, they went at it you know yeah. they, they exchanged several uh, blows it was a pr- pretty good uh, slug fest for about uh, two minutes and uh, um, you know I'd say each one uh, inflicted some blows on the other you know but uh, but I would have to say Brian definitely got the best of it um, yeah. you know, And he, he he didn't back down you know, even though, you know, Jeff probably had, uh, maybe four inches and about 40 pounds on him, you know, Brian, uh, he was, he was a, a tough athlete. He played football and, uh, uh, and he was very sure of himself. Right. So, and so it was, uh, it was interesting, you know, dynamite Davey, uh, um, they didn't get involved fortunately, you know, I think, yeah. they just, well, let's just uh, let these two go at it and, uh, make sure nobody else gets involved, you know, and, uh, um, but, um, you know, it was, uh, it's an unfortunate thing, but, um, it does happen sometimes when sure. uh, personalities clash and, uh, um, testosterone, yeah, you know, and, yeah. And, and, that, and that's what happened. And, uh, um, you know, it probably wasn't the. The first fight uh, Bellman was involved in, but uh, um, I had a lot of admiration, and respect for him because I never ever saw him back down from anybody, whether it was uh, Bill Kazmaier or or uh, mm-hmm. Rick Bronsky or, uh, as I heard later, Sid Vicious, who he did oh, back yeah. from in the in the WCW, you know, or Mock and Sing or anybody, you know. Uh, Bellman had a lot of guts and he could he could back uh, back it up.
2: Now, one thing I'm curious about too: you did some booking for a while. What was that like? How was it like to book?
0: well yeah i um i booked some of my own shows yep. you know i think more more after 2000 when we had uh, a younger group of wrestlers but you know i had the chance to work with guys like uh tyson Kidd and um uh, british bulldog uh harry smith my nephew yep. and natalia my niece and uh uh rick victor who, who later wrestled uh in the wwf he was apocalypse here yeah you know and th- these guys were all uh uh i thought just great athletes uh we had some others that did did well in the stampede circuit unfortunately didn't uh uh go a lot further just because again i think the industry was downsizing more but guys like uh duke durango and um greg pollock uh tiger Khan was another but you know they they worked on a number of my shows and uh they they were great you know they uh were, were just phenomenal athletes and i i i saw a lot of potential and promise for all of them but um, you know, I worked uh, a lot with my brother, Bruce, who, who basically was the booker for Stampede from the mid-'80s right till, uh, you know, it closed down in uh, 1990 and, uh, you know, learned a lot of ideas from Bruce. Bruce was just uh, a master at uh, developing talent, taking somebody and uh, giving them a role, whether it was, uh, you know, uh, you know whether it was uh, uh, a clown role or uh, just... You know a, a transvestite heel or something which mm. seemed to be kind of accepted back then you know um uh, yeah. guys that were just street fighter types or uh loud obnoxious types or bullies uh but bruce was was just a master at, at uh crafting and developing talent you know and uh teaching these guys uh mike skills body language skills uh how to uh portray themselves to the fans how to get heat in the ring you know i i I learned a lot from him for sure but uh you know it was just just one of many roles that i had working as a uh, as a booker helping guys train in the dungeon um with with bruce's training camp which was i guess the Hart brothers wrestling camp and you know and being being around different guys you know i i learned uh, a lot from guys like dynamite kid you know just being very uh firm sometimes with with wrestlers and giving them uh, orders and expectations but also getting the best out of them as well you know even if you're telling somebody they they have to lose or put somebody over in a very one-sided match uh you know you you have to approach them and uh, explain the logic behind that and you know and and it's 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 part of the uh the business sometimes and not everybody can win or be put over or, or be be a superstar but uh, hopefully everybody gets uh, their opportunities you know and you know it's sometimes you're going to be a building block for other guys to get over and at some stage maybe uh, you'll get your opportunity even if it's uh, with the same promotion or you go to another territory and you get a fresh start. Absolutely.
2: Now when Brett won his first world title from Flair in uh, Saskatchewan there how big a moment was that for the Hart family? Did that put more of a focus on the whole family? I mean being the WWE world champion?
0: Yeah, it was amazing. And, you know, and he won it in Saskatoon, you know, which was the birthplace of my dad. And, you know, it was in Western Canada. You know, it was was not a... A pay-per-view show or anything like that right. but, uh, but it was uh, a live show and there was a huge crowd there and uh, none of us knew you know that brett was going to win the oh, title. i was wondering okay wow you know that night it was, it was kept pretty much under wraps but um we you know we were we were just ecstatic we were elated that he had won the title you know it was it was amazing brett had achieved so many milestones he had won the tag team title twice with Jim the anvil night heard he had had the uh inter- non- intercontinental title at least twice and then he just dropped it to uh, Davy boy in the classic match they had at Wembley I, two months before that mm-hmm. and, you know and I don't think it hurt his uh popularity or esteem because it was such a classic match and to, it was so close and uh, it was so competitive and back and forth it it was fantastic for Davy it really helped get him over but it also showed Brett you know as a very uh, magnanimous uh, gracious loser you know and he and he passed the torch basically to his his brother-in-law, you know, it was a great match and he was still over huge with the fans. And then uh, uh, when they uh, decided Ric Flair had to lose the title, I think he had some health issues and maybe yeah. he was uh, going to be going back to WCW. In um, uh, whatever the, the case was, they, uh, they, they needed to uh, make a transition there very fast and have him uh, drop the title quickly. And, uh, you know, I don't think Brett knew well in advance about their plans but you know we we were just very happy for him it was a a huge uh, step forward in his career you know it was uh, you know it was the outcome I think of of, of hard work and paying his dues and uh, you know he had worked there for a number of years and uh, started from the underneath matches and uh, rose up you know and established himself as 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 a tag team technician and then Really made that conversion to uh, singles matches, you know, and had, had some phenomenal matches, you know, with with Kurt Hennig and uh, mm-hmm. you know Roddy Piper and so many others. So you know, I, I think it was very uh, deserved for Brett, but you know maybe he was in the right place at the right right time. But uh, you know uh, we we were we were very uh, proud of him, and it, it was it was definitely uh, you know the the highlight, I think, of, of his career, you know, and his sure. biggest accomplishment to date. And, you know, we, we were all very uh, proud and excited for him.
2: Yeah, and I'll just say one well, more than that, too. Like, I will say as a fan who grew up in the uh, the Hogan era, but Brett was the first guy I ever saw, almost like a blue collar, literally work his way up through the tags, through the Intercontinental, and then won the world title. Um, everybody else was kind of like – it was Hogan. They were main event guys almost. Brett was the guy I saw who kind of worked his way up the ladder to win that.
0: Yeah, he really had. Um, and it was definitely a, a change, you know, to uh, the smaller, I think, better technical wrestlers. Now you're seeing an emphasis on guys like Brett and Shawn Michaels, you know, who, who was also becoming a really big star at that time. And Owen, you know, who came back shortly after to the WWF. And it was uh, it was great for Brett, but, you know, it was not easy uh, shoes to step into because WWF for years had been um, dominated by large large athletes guys like uh hulk hogan andre the giant ultimate warrior you know very big guys randy savage might have been an exception to that but he was an incredible worker and uh, a great personality as well and for brett to kind of follow those guys that was not easy and it was kind of a downturn for the business at that time for different reasons and you know i thought brett did an admirable job carrying the title and it was amazing he was over so well in europe you know he was uh huge yeah. in in the uk and france and germany and all these places and he was getting over so well there and that's where his merchandise was selling and magazines that were devoted to him it was just incredible how much uh box office he had in europe you know and and that certainly caught on in uh, north america as well you know but it was uh it, it it was an adjustment period you know for fans uh it was definitely a a new industry that they were seeing and you know it was it was a shift from uh, from the larger heavyweights and bigger guys you know to to the smaller guys who could really work well and have more technical matches and, and longer matches as well and you know Brett, Brett had some uh some great matches with 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 heavy guys or smaller guys alike you know and I, I thought uh it was a testament to his abilities in the ring because he, he could have great matches with, with anybody whether it was uh Razor Ramon whether it was Bam Bam Bigelow whether it was uh Shawn Michaels, whether it was a one, two, three kid, uh, whether it was uh, Owen, um, you know, Brett, Brett was just so versatile and uh, mm. could work with just about anybody. Absolutely.
2: Now, I'm just curious. I'm going to give you a couple more questions. One, I'm curious, we talked about with Brett being, you know, obviously hard work, but right time too, you know, and uh, I just heard somebody on the show recently say how, you know, sometimes timing is so underrated in life. And you had mentioned a few other things, too, like going to different territories and picking out the best things. And I'm just curious, in terms of life, what is something like maybe the professional wrestling business taught you like a really good life lesson that you use, would you through daily life?
0: Well, um, I think you know as a, as a wrestler, if you're a, a headline performer, you know uh, you're gonna have a lot of notoriety and celebrity status. So, I, I think that's great. I think that's something you have to appreciate at the time, you know, and, and never uh, take it for granted, you know. So uh, if fans hound you for autographs or take pictures, uh, no matter how much of a hurry you're in, you know, because you're tired from uh, a lot of the road trips, especially if you're doing TV tapings or things like that and uh, the constant travel, but you never forget uh, it's the fans that got you there. Uh, so So take that time to sign an autograph even if it's at a busy airport or uh on you know on your way to your car um uh, never never snub fans or uh flip them off you know just figure you're you're too important for that you know because I, I think the you know you have a limited shelf life as a performer mm-hmm. you're you're not going to be on top forever and you really want to make a positive impression on those fans that helped get you there and uh, those fans will uh, always remember and appreciate you even after your career is wound down or you your spotlight is faded so to speak but you know i i think that's one really important lesson and you know and uh if you're making good money make sure you're saving it you know don't uh, don't spell it on don't spend it on uh the evils you know the world you know on on alcohol and drugs and uh going first class all the time and you know buying rounds of uh shooters and bars and nightclubs. uh you know uh it, you know, you, you can make a lot of money, but you can spend it very fast as well. And too, too, too often, sadly, we hear about wrestlers that, that ended up broke or destitute that they sure. didn't save any of their money, even though they made good money, you know, and and they just spent it, you know, quite needlessly on, on a lot of things they didn't need, you know, and, and, and then ended up where they couldn't even uh, pay their income tax returns or their homes got foreclosed, uh, you know, and, you know, they're having to work for small promotions and still expecting big salaries but you know they're they they couldn't command those salaries anymore you know they were they were no longer the big names uh, that they once were and uh, and that that's kind of a reality check you know so if you're making the big money uh, make sure you're saving it you're investing it uh, toward your future or your kids and and don't blow it all needlessly and uh you know that, that's that's advice i think everybody can live by absolutely
2: uh, now, uh, two more. One question: Do you keep up with today's product? And if so, what are your thoughts?
0: Not as much as I used to. I, I do watch WWE. I, you know, I don't watch uh, a lot of the other promotions. Unfortunately, you know, I, and then because of the COVID situation in the last year, uh, there, there's been much less wrestling to to be able to watch as well. Uh, AEW, I, I do need to watch more of. You know, it's it's on once a week on, on television here. And I just haven't really um, made the time to watch it, but uh, I should follow it more because it's, uh, you know, the biggest competitor to uh, WWE, but you know, so to be honest, I, you know, I'll, I'll I'll watch a lot of the independents on YouTube and whatever, whatever uh, I can access it on. And, you know, I still watch raw and SmackDown uh, periodically, but not as much as I used to, but you know, and I, I certainly follow, Matches that are available that I can watch of of um, my nephew Harry or or Ted because Ted yeah. is still wrestling on a lot of uh, Independence, But you know it's it's great. I know NXT. Uh, they they've got a lot of uh, fantastic young stars, males and females. So so I, I really enjoy watching that. You know because those are our future stars. And uh, occasionally what what's what's available from uh, from New Japan or All Japan.
2: Yeah, Harry was great in uh, MLW. I got to see some stuff with him, and uh, I think Teddy and Brian Pillman Jr. for a little while. They were doing um, like a New Heart Foundation gimmick, and I thought yeah, Harry yeah, was yeah, that, that awesome. was uh,
0: they were very uh, well received. They had a really good following there. So I think Brian Jr. is with AEW. I'm not sure yeah. what Ted's doing right now. I think he's working for some different uh, independents, but uh, I'd like to see him back there. And I think Harry's kind of looking at some different options right now. But Harry's probably one of the best. Talents in the world right now, you know, he's got uh, the size and athletic ability, and uh, can really uh, combine the uh, the grappling and MMA style, you know, with with uh, conventional wrestling. So, uh, you know, and, and uh, ha- had years of uh, experience in Japan and working on smaller promotions with with Stampede, and so, you know, I'm I'm expecting to see Harry uh, with with a major promotion like AEW or WWE uh, very soon
2: i agree now uh final question ross at this point in your life you know wrestling's you know i wouldn't say behind you but you're teaching and everything what are your goals now what is ross hart's goals at this point in life
0: (laughs) well (laughs) just to avoid covid i guess (laughs) more than anything but uh you know i'm (laughs) 61 uh you know i'm hoping i can teach for another four years um but i i enjoy staying active with wrestling i try to read a lot of the books and biographies uh the wrestlers have put out it's 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 amazing uh reading about some of their life experiences and careers you know and i collect a lot of uh wrestling memorabilia it'll always be uh, part of my blood you know uh i just uh, incredible memories of wrestling in the from the 60s all the way to uh you know the 21st century here i wouldn't mind writing a book about some of my uh experiences and anecdotes uh, it might be a different perspective than than some of the wrestlers but just more about uh my different roles and how it shaped my life i guess you know and, and maybe some of the life experiences and uh anecdotes you know that i've learned over the years but uh, that that might be a future project that i work on as well so i think i'll always be attached to the industry though you know i'll always follow wrestling and you know ha- have an interest in it yeah.
2: Well, I'll tell you a little thing about, like, at least my audience and stuff. We did a um, top five uh, thing uh, a couple months ago, and uh, we always do, like, top five subjects. And this one was, like, greatest WWF matches. And Brett was on <laughs> several of them. He had the best. Everybody loved the Brett-Steve Austin match. And want to say the Brett-Owen match from SummerSlam was on there. So what I'm basically trying to say is, on behalf of my audience everybody, we just want to thank you and your family, you guys, have given us so many great memories in professional wrestling. It's absolutely an honor to have you on the pod, and you've been gracious. So thank you so much for your time. Oh, it was
0: it was a pleasure to be on, Dave, and I look forward to hearing it after. And uh, yeah, yeah I, I think you've had many great guests on your show, and uh, I'm I'm really uh, pleased that that uh, I had the distinction of being a guest on your show. Awesome! Thanks for being on here, Ross. We appreciate okay. you. Thank you so much. All the best to you, Dave. Take care. We'll do.
3: We want to take a minute to thank our newest sponsor on the show, 482 Designs. That is F O U R, the number's 82 Designs. 482 Designs. You can find them on Facebook by looking up F O U R 82 Designs, at F O U R 82 Designs on Instagram. And if you want to email them, Go to four82 2 designs at gmail.com. Pretty soon, we're going to be rolling out some high-quality T-shirts and stickers that were just done by the sponsor. Please check them out for any of your screen printing needs.
2: First off, if the light years look better than our first one. Also, we divide the vibe to washer and dryer. They look good, and they're good quality.
3: Nice. And those stickers before Paco chewed them up were amazing. And luckily, we'll be getting some more in hopefully before we start selling them to fans. But that's (laughs) F-O-U-R-8-2-designs.